Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Joel, chapter 2, 12 through 27. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can, so you can offer a grain offering or a drink offering to the Lord. Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged, gather the infants, even the babies nursing at the breast. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, have pity on our people, God, and not make our inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people. The Lord answered his people, look, I am about to send you grain, new wine and fresh oil. You will be satiated with them and I will no longer make you a disgrace among the nations. I will drive the northerner far from you and banish him to a dry and desolate land. His front front ranks into the Dead Sea and his rear guard into the Mediterranean Sea. His stench will rise. Yes, his rotten smell will rise for he has done astonishing things. Don't be afraid, land. Rejoice and be glad. For the Lord has done astonishing things. Don't be afraid, wild animals, for the wilderness pastures have turned green. The trees bear their fruit, and the fig tree and the grapevine yield their riches. Children of Zion, rejoice and be glad in the Lord your God, because he gives you the autumn rain for your vindication. He sends showers for you, both autumn and spring rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and fresh oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust ate, the young locust, the destroying locust, the devouring locust, my great army that I sent against you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. 
you will know that I am present in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. The word of the Lord. Pastor John Tyson tells a story of, uh, you know how most families take a Disney vacation? You know, they take their kids to Disney. Well, he's kind of this crazy man who came to faith in a Pentecostal church in Australia in the middle of what he would call uh, just kind of like a revival moment where like hundreds of youth were being drawn to the church. And uh, so he decides to take his family on a revival tour. And so he, he you know, flies them across the, the pond and goes to these places where you know, the Spirit of God has moved mightily in, in Christian history, right? And, and he takes them to the place and, and to the, the very ground where it happened, right? And they go and they visit all these places. And when he came back from the trip, people were like, did you figure out the secret? The, the secret to revival, right? You know, you know how, how does it work? And if you are, uh, have paid attention to Christian books, there's a lot of books about revival and revivalists and what happened. And in every stream, they would say, well, it's our distinctives that, that were the difference. You know, that it was, you know, our commitment to holiness was the difference, or our theology was the difference, or our, our high view of scripture was the difference, or our type of worship was the difference, right? Or our, our method, our gathering, you know, method was the difference. And um, John Tyson says, I don't think God thinks like we think. And the secret was this, hunger hunger. And his point was, God goes where he's wanted. We're in a season right now that we're about to enter into as a church. We're preparing with this series called Hungry for God, where we're, we're stirring up our hunger, this desire for God. We, we want to be people who hunger for him. And we're, what we're preparing for is a season of prayer and fasting. We're joining with other churches around Houston and what's called Awaken Houston. We're, we're going to be um, spending time, just each of us, you know, committing ourselves to prayer, to, to fast in various ways so that we can develop this hunger for God because God goes where he's wanted, where he's wanted, um, this passage that um, Smitty and Janine read from this morning from Joel chapter 2 is, um, it's one of those minor prophets where it's got this sort of, this ominous theme of the day of the Lord. You've heard that before, right? The day of the Lord. And he's warning them about the day of the Lord. And in, in scripture, that, that means a couple of things. The one thing it means is it's talking about the, the capital D day, right? The big day where Jesus returns and his enemies are destroyed, right? That's, that's the big day of judgment that we talk about. But it's also about the ongoing judgment of Israel, there's a pastor by the name of Mark Sayers, who's an author and a podcaster, and he, uh, he talks about judgment in a way that kind of helped me understand it. He said, you know, we have laws of nature, right? So we have a law called gravity, and uh, gravity helps us 
every day. Like right now, gravity's helping you stay attached to the chair that you're sitting in currently, right? It's, it's, uh, it helps your car stay on the road and not float away like while you're driving home from here. It uh, helps you stay in your bed at night and not like float in your room as you're trying to sleep, right? It's, it's very helpful to us in a lot of ways, but when you decide, hey, let's go jump off a cliff. You want to? No parachutes, right? Let's do it. Let's just jump off and see what happens. And we already know what's going to happen, right? It's predetermined. There's something that rules the earth that, that tells us that before you ever jump off, you already know I'm going to fall and I'm going to severely hurt myself or die. Like that's what's going to happen, okay? Newsflash, you're gonna die because of the law of gravity. And he said, there are, there's, a, there's a law of God that governs the universe. He's the creator. He's the maker of all things. And so this, this idea of judgment is that literally when you're defying the law of God, when you're jumping off of cliffs saying, we don't care about your ways, like it harms you. And if you, if you know anything about the people of Israel, there are these seasons of, of, of like return and revival and high points. And then there's this, this apostasy, this turning away, this sort of getting dulled like, like us, dulled by life, right? They're, they're interested in all the ideas around them, the ideas of the nations, the gods of the nations. And so they're, they're intrigued by all these things and they turn away from God. And then there's this kind of like, oh no, day of the Lord moment. And it's like, we need you. And there's a return and right, God raises up a prophet and calls them back. And there's these, this, and we're just like them. People who in life can be dulled by all of our duties and our responsibilities, who, who are interested in all the things out there. And if we're not careful, what happens is there's just this shift, right? Like when you're driving, you can practice this week, and you just take your hands off the wheel, what happens? Hopefully, if your alignment isn't terrible, you're just going to have this slow drift, into another lane or onto the median, right? So at that point, put your hands back on the wheel and you, you've, you've done your homework for the week, okay? So we, we drift. And this is a moment in the book of Joel where he, he's, God sends a prophet and he says, come back now, come back now. And so we're going to talk about this together, the, the return and the restoration. I don't know if you, if you caught that in the passage. He talks about a returning, a wholehearted return, but then there's, there's this shift in the second half, and there's, a ret- there's this promise of restoration that he gives to the people, and it's this beautiful thing. And, and before we dive in, I just want you to think about this. If, if God were to show up in your life in your house in your where where you know sometime this week if the like the manifest presence of god were to show up in the room and you were having that like oh, like i i i know he's real but like now i know he's real kind of moment if that were to happen to you this week is there anything that you'd be like i'm a little embarrassed about this. I'm, I'm ashamed of the half-heartedness over here. Like, what would that do 
in your soul. So the return and the restoration. So here we have this, this, uh, this call that the Lord issues through the prophet Joel, and it starts in verse 12, and he said, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, not just your outer garments, right? And return to the Lord your God. He tells them what to do. He says, I, I'm calling you to a wholehearted return. The day of the Lord is coming, right? The, the, the judgment, if that's just the, the, the judgment of this season or like the big judgment, like it's coming and here's what I want you to do. Come back to me with all your heart wholehearted return, which must mean that you and I are capable, and we know this, of a half-hearted return. I uh, found this from Pastor Jim Johnson. The article is called, Why Are So Many Christians Unhappy? And here's what he wrote. The most miserable Christians I've seen are those who live with a foot in both worlds. They hedge their bets. They have one eye on heaven and one on earth. They call on the name of Christ, but they still try to find security, satisfaction, pleasure, or fulfillment from this world. They're riding the fence, and they're not happy. Did you know the most miserable kind of Christianity is the half-hearted kind? To, to have just enough Jesus to spoil your sinning, but not enough Jesus to satisfy you is the worst kind of Christianity you could ever live in. It's the worst. He says they're half-hearted. There's this tug of war that can happen inside of us between our flesh that wants things, right? But then there's also the spirit of God in us. It's like, no, like pursue Christ, turn from that, follow me, like look to me, right? There's this, this, this kind of inward tug of war that's happening and it makes us miserable. Or scripture sometimes calls it being double-minded, right? And it's not only miserable, it's not blessed. In, in the, the context of Joel, what's happened, and you heard this when he talks about restoring the years that the locusts have eaten, it's like God has sent this sort of wake-up call to his people, and it was a plague of locusts that were coming in everywhere through the windows, through the doors, they're going through the fields, they're, they're destroying the crops, and there's, there's no wine there's no grain. And the point was that there's no joy. The people have lost their joy. They are miserable because God has sent this wake-up call. And what is he after? What's he after? He's after their hearts. It reveals to us the relational nature of our God. He doesn't just want our giving. He doesn't just want your, your uh, 
church attendance. He doesn't just want your, uh, you know, your daily devotional time or, or whatever things, you know, your, your, maybe your, your checklist boxes of, of life. What he's after, friends, is he's after our hearts. I've been praying um, the last few weeks, Lord, would you just help me to reconnect to my own heart. Have you ever felt that way before where you're just so crazy, you're so busy, you're running around if you have kiddos around you all the time or whatever, like and you're just like you're just like literally trying to keep the 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 ship going, right? And in the craziness of life, what happens is a lot of times we don't even know what's going on inside of us. Like we we haven't had a second to sit down and think how, how am I? Like people ask me all the time, how are you? And you're like, I don't know. I'm here. My kids are still alive. House doesn't burn down. Praise God. So, you know, that, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> but I'm asking the Lord, would you just reconnect me to my heart? Because he wants it. The, the core of your being. So he tells him what to do. The, the, the second thing is he, he tells him when to do it. He says this, even now. And I love that in the kingdom of God, that the time is always now. Have you noticed that? Like, the time is now. I, I love the story of, of Zacchaeus, and y'all know the song from a kid? Like, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed to the sycamore tree to see what he could see, right? And Zacchaeus climbs up the tree, and Jesus is coming his way. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus in the tree, and he says to him, right, like, hurry and come down, because today, now, it's necessary for me to stay at your house. And the time was like, not like, hey, on Tuesday at 2 p.m., could we hang? It was like, now. In the time that Joel is pointing to is not like, hey, three o'clock on Wednesday, our whole hearts are going to Jesus, right? <laughs> no, no, right now. Even now, declares the Lord. The time is now in the kingdom of God. And, and my sense is that for many people who were raised in Christianity or around Christianity, the time to get serious about faith is later, right? When my kids, you know, are older and I, I don't have as much going on, or when I have kids, I'll get serious about my faith. When I'm less busy, when I have more margin in my schedule, when my career kind of gets on track, um, or when my life hits rock bottom, I, I know where to go. When the wheels fall off later, like I want, I'll do that later, but the time that Joel's pointing to is now. And unfortunately, sometimes later becomes never because we don't live in a vacuum where we're not affected by all the other stuff going on around us. We, we drift. And so God's calling them now to turn their whole hearts. But then I love this. In, in verse 13b, he tells them why. And this is so important to understand why. Here's what he says. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. 
and he relents from sending disaster. What he points them to is the goodness of God. He says, look at his grace. Look at his mercy. Look, he's the God who turns from, from sending disaster. He relents. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He calls them back to the goodness of God. And here's the point. A revelation of God's goodness melts away miserable, half-hearted faith. Have you ever had that revelation before? I was hanging out with Jacob the other day. He got to go to the Passion Conference. And one of the, the artists was Dave Crowder. And Crowder sings this song that all of us probably know how he loves us, right? And he said, but there was just something about it in this moment, in this place when we're singing, yeah, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And at that moment, it's like I just, I just melted. It's like the, the revelation of God's love hit me again. There's something about that. When you understand why, like why would you give your whole heart to him? It's because he's so amazing. He's so good and he loves you. It's a revelation of the love and goodness of God that melts away this miserable, half-hearted faith. And if we're honest with ourselves, the biggest reason why we would not give our whole hearts to the Lord is that we have bought into the lie that there's something else out there that's going to satisfy me. When I find the right person, I'll be satisfied if, if, if anyone's been married more than like five years, could you just tell me like finding the right person, does that satisfy every need in your heart? You're like, I'm not gonna answer because I'm gonna get in trouble later. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's not because your spouse isn't awesome. It's because they were never designed to meet that need in you. And if you try to make them meet that need in you, you're gonna kill your relationship. When I finally achieve the thing I've been wanting to achieve, I'll be satisfied. How many times have you gotten there? You got the award, you got the promotion, you got the whatever, and then you get it and you're kind of like, I thought I'd feel differently right now. It's not enough. It's the, the, the thing that would keep us from going wholeheartedly in with Jesus is that we think there's something else out there that's going to finally make me feel complete. It's going to satisfy. And the problem is, that's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. And God's voice booms out. He's like, I want all of you. I want your whole heart. And sometimes God will use things in your lives to reveal half-heartedness. Um, it's that friend that does find the right person before you do, that gets married before you. And you're like, you're kind of, you're happy for them, but there's something in you that's like, oh, that was going to be my story. Or the person who gets promoted when you don't. That friend that gets a big financial blessing right when you're in the tightest point in your life and you're so happy for them and then you hate them too, right? Because you're like, ah. 
It's that person with effortless, effortless talent and success when you're grinding it out with minimal results. Right? It's seeing your friends on social media have all the experiences or the good life and you feel like you've got nothing. And I just wonder if we could get over the frustration and the anger and the internal like, well, they're really blah, 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 like mudslinging thing that we do. If we could get over the envy, the jealousy, the covetousness, if we could just get over that and be honest with ourselves, I think we'll find that what God's doing is he's just saying, look, I don't have all of you. I don't have all of you. Right? You're, you're holding this back and you think that those things are gonna fully satisfy you and he's giving you a grace and a kindness and he's resisting you so that you'll know that only he will satisfy you. Only him. So Joel calls the people back with the big reality of God's goodness. Remember who he is. He's the only one who's actually capable of sustainably carrying your whole heart. He's it. And in his mercy, he tells them exactly how to do it. He spells out the return of what to do and, and, and the when to do and the why, but then he gives them this explicit how, and, and here's what he says for them to do. He says, blow the horn in Zion, announce a sacred fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather everyone, the people, sanctify the congregation, the, the aged, the infants, the babies, let the, the honeymoon be interrupted. This is so urgent. I want, I want the, the bridegroom and the bride to come out of the chamber. Like this needs to happen now. Call them together. Even the priests and the ministers, even the ones who we would assume like are so close to God, they've given their whole hearts to him, right? Even the ones uh, of the committed Christians that we assume like we're there, I've got this. He says, even them weep between the portico and the altar. And he puts a prayer in their mouth. Let them say, have pity, have mercy on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, meaning like we're your people, God, like don't make your inheritance. This is your name on display. Your name is on us. And when we go down, people's image of you goes down. So please have mercy. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? It's a prayer about God glorifying himself by coming to rescue and help and pour out mercy on his people. He tells them exactly how to do it. He calls them to communal prayer and fasting. Get everyone together, pray, and fast, right? Now, in our stream of Christianity, um, we are probably in danger of focusing so much on our internal lives that we give very little effort or thought towards our external expression. And he calls them not to give their whole hearts, but to do it together and to do it with fasting and weeping 
in mourning. He calls them to a communal expression of putting this hunger into some expression together. So important. And I love this, this verse. It's this kind of beautiful moment where he says, um, who knows? Hey, who knows? He may turn and relent. And get this, and leave a blessing behind. Who knows? Who knows what he'll do? Who knows what would happen if God's people were gripped with a hunger for him and they said, we're, we're going we're gonna to set aside food, we're going to set aside all the other stuff that we consume, and we're going to just humble ourselves, and we're going to say, God, we're hungry for you, we want you, we need you, have mercy for the glory of your name. Would you please move on our behalf? Like, who knows what would happen um, the way that we're going to do this as a church body is I'm going to send out uh, this week uh, a sign-up genius. And we're going to start this um, on Monday, January, the last week of Monday. I should know these dates, but that's not how my brain works. The 30th. Okay, Monday the 30th. And we're going to end it together on February 26th on that Sunday. So starting on Monday the 30th, I'm going to have some dates. And I, and I just want you to pick some dates. Like think about when would I be able to just carve out some time. And I'm just going to, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. So that, that could be a food fast. That's a great one to do, especially after the holidays. Um, do a media fast. I, I think that it's, it's a sense of what would distract me from like fully devoting myself to the Lord. It's to, to make room, to empty out. So a food fast, media fast, to say like, like no, no scrolling, no, no social media, no, no streaming. Like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take these days and I'm gonna set them aside and I'm just gonna say, Lord, have mercy on me. Um, I've been praying about how I'm going to do that, and um, I, I just have felt like I, I want to do the whole thing, like the starting on the 30th all the way through the 26th, like, and, and what I'm going to do so that I don't die is I'm going to fast for two meals out of the day and have one meal, okay? And just no social media, none of that stuff, just spending time, but just pray about that. What will that look like for you? I'll send that out, and you can think, and you can pray, and what I want is that every one of us would engage in this somehow, right? You just determine how you're going to do that, but every one of us engage during that month to pray and to fast and to get hungry because God goes where he's wanted. So the return now, let's just quickly talk about the restoration because this is this beautiful shift in the passage. I don't know if you heard that in verse 18. It was actually right when Smitty started reading. It said, then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people. And I love this. It's like he calls him to wholehearted return and to fast and to pray. And there's a then. Like they, they do this and then God responds. He gets jealous. And it's not like, a, like you and I would get jealous of like a sinful way of like they got something that you don't have. It was like there's this burning 
compassionate heart of God that just wants his people, that when they come together and say, we're all yours, heaven says, mine. I'm jealous for my people. You're mine. Here's the point. The heart of God turns as the people of God turn their whole hearts to him. He goes where he's wanted. And so he gives him these promises. Here's, here's what he said. He will satisfy. Do you know that's, that's the promise of God to his people when they turn wholeheartedly to him, when they say, I'm, I'm not going to look to all this stuff to fill me up anymore. God, it's you. Like, you're the one. You're the one I need. I'm wholeheartedly use yours. And, and he says, I will satisfy. Here's how he said it. Look, I'm about to send you grain, new wine, and fresh oil. You will be satiated. We don't use that word very often, satiated. It's like to be fully satisfied with them. And I will no longer make you a disgrace among the nations. I will satisfy you. And if you're in that place in your heart where you're just like, ah, oh, there's just this void. I just, I, I feel like there's all these temptations right now because I'm just like, I'm so unsatisfied. And here's the promise of God. When you turn yourself fully to him, he will satisfy. Secondly, he says this, he will defeat your enemies. That's a good one. Here's how he said it in verse 20. I will drive the northerner far from you and banish him to a dry and desolate land, his front rakes into the Dead Sea and his rear guard into the Mediterranean Sea. His stench will rise, his rotten smell will rise, for he has done astonishing things. I mean, this is like this violent uh, picture of God saying, you know, I will deal with your enemies. And, and yes, there are wars in the earth. Okay, there, there are literal wars going on right now. But we also know that there's, there's the, uh, the regular kind of attack that you might get from people around you, right? It's, it's those like the, the words, the actions, the attitudes, the, the person that comes after you. And there's, there's this kind of experience of feeling like an enmity, like these people are coming after me. But then Paul, he tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That there are spiritual attacks. And often the attacks that we feel in the natural can be spiritually motivated. They can be demonically motivated. Maybe it's the thoughts that you're just like, I don't want to think about that, but it's just like always right here. It's like this attack on my mind. I'm so sick of having that temptation or that downward spiral or that, that thing that says like, you're not enough. You're not any good. You're terrible. You're a loser. Like whatever that thing is in your mind, we're just like, I'm so sick of that, like that thing coming and attacking me. And God says, when you give yourself wholeheartedly to me, I will deal with your enemies. I will defeat them. I will deal with the ones who are attacking you. And it's like this picture of this wholehearted return and communal prayer and fasting is like a spiritual weapon that the people of God stand in the might and power of their God and say, you're the one for us. You're it, Jesus. And it's like he just moves on our behalf. He deals with our enemies. Thirdly, he says, he'll take away your shame. He says it this way in Verse 25, I will repay you for the years 
that the swarming locust ate, the young locust, the destroying locust, and the devouring locust, my great army that I sent against you. Why did he send the army against them? He wanted their hearts. Verse 26, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. And maybe you look back on your life and you look at your past and all you can see is all the things that were stolen or the things that the locust ate or the, the shame of the story of like, oh, I just, I just didn't know I was far from God. I just had, I was just driven by all the wrong things. And I just look at the sin in my life and I'm just like so ashamed of that. And God's promise to his people is this. I'll take away your shame. I'll take it away. I'll erase it from your, from your life. And you will praise, I love this, you will praise, like songs are going to emerge because you know that God has dealt wondrously with you. And lastly, I love this, in verse 27, he says, you will know that I am present. I mean, of all the things, the joy of all joys is when you know he's present. I mean, you can make it through anything when you know, like, God is here, he's with me. He says, you will know that I am present in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. <laughs> this, this exclusive promise to the people of God who are wholeheartedly committed to him is that they will know his presence. The chapter goes on, and it goes into the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what we talked about at Pentecost, right? The, God's gonna pour out his spirit. They will know his presence. So friends, when we see Jesus in all of his glorious goodness, his beauty and his worth, defeating our enemies, literally being torn apart for our sins and for our half-heartedness, and when we see him raising to new life, we can say, I'm truly satisfied. He has defeated my enemies. Our joy will return as we look back and see that he has erased our shame. And the joy of all joys, we will know he's present. So here's our call. As we prepare for this season of prayer and fasting, even now, declares the Lord, turn to me with your whole heart and be restored. But it all starts with hunger. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.